The word vulgar comes from the Latin vulgus, which means common people. The original senses were used in ordinary calculations, in ordinary use, and used by the people. The following podcast is proud to use vulgar language. Hello, and welcome to episode 288 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Today on the show, we talked about so many things. Uh, Where did we start? All kinds of stuff. Yeah, we started with a logical reasoning question and assumptions there. Then we jumped into a pearls versus turds from our listener, Rebecca. And that was about process versus like goals and end results and so forth. Yeah, we had an excuse of the week about reading out loud. Mm-hmm. We took a quick look at our uh, hilarious Apple Podcasts reviews. And we dug into Nathan's inner child. That was nice. <laughs> and then we had a whole raft of mailbag questions. I don't know that we need to summarize those, but we had, uh, boy, five or six different uh, listener emails. Yeah, that people we tackled who on tried to decide whether to go to law school, um, whether they can then get dis- accommodations in law school and someone who applied late and wondering whether they should accept an acceptance now for next year. Anyways. We also talked about Georgetown's predatory spam. Oh yeah. Uh, asking for people to apply late with a GRE score. Um, we had a little bit of information that came in from a listener yep. on that. So that was cool. Yeah. So this will air on the Ides of March, Monday, March 15th. You can't apply for the April LSAT at this point, but that will be on April 10th. And the June registration deadline, that's one thing you should keep in mind. That's the end of April, April 30th for the June LSAT, uh, which will start June 12th. All right. Let's... Uh, Jump into this logical reasoning question. This is test 65, section 4, question 23. Domesticated wolves is apparently the title of this one. Do you want to read it? Yeah, a biologist says researchers researchers believe that dogs are the descendants of domesticated wolves that were bred to be better companions for humans. It has recently been found that some breeds of dog are much more closely related genetically to wolves than to most other breeds of dog. Interesting. This shows that some dogs are descended from wolves that were domesticated much more recently than others. Oh, okay. New idea there. Yeah, and that's their conclusion. And you're not allowed to bring up new shit in your conclusion. You know, one red flag on LSAT logical reasoning, whenever they say this shows, yep, what they mean is this proves. And my response is always, no, it doesn't. It just doesn't. I'm willing to give you all your facts, but I'm not going to give you that last conclusion. So my objection here is simply because these dogs are more closely related to wolves than they are to other dogs does not mean that they have to have been domesticated more recently. Why can't they have, why can't they be super closely related to wolves, but they were domesticated first. I like, what does domestication have to do with time? How closely you are genetically related? Yeah. Like the assumption here is that once you were domesticated, then you continued to 
evolve or something, I guess, or like genetically change, right? Like somehow that's... Which, you know, because of animal husbandry, because we know that we like purposely choose dogs to be different, have different characteristics, then, I mean, I I guess kind of like my outside knowledge says, well, I mean, probably, but probably isn't good enough. And it's just, it's a week probably, right? I don't even know if you can go that far. It's like maybe. Right. Because, right, Right. like cockroaches or something, haven't they like not evolved hardly at all for the last million, trillion, billion years? (laughs) Not only that, but what if I want my dog to be a fucking wolf? And you keep it that way. Yep. And you favor. Yeah, like what if I purposely breed my dogs with wolves to try to get them as much like wolves as I can? Yeah. You know, it could be the reason why it's the most like a wolf is because I like wolves and I domesticated, you know, or my great, great grandfather domesticated this wolf and then just like kept it as a wolf. Basically, you kept breeding it with wolves and that's his dog. Yeah. But it's like super wolf like because he, he wants it to be that way. Yeah. And that's the biologist seems to be assuming that that's not that that's not the case with this particular breed of dog. Yep. Like the, the more closely genetically related you are to a wolf, the more recently you must have come away from that wolf, something like that. Right. But that's, but that's an assumption of the argument. That's an unstated premise of the argument. And that's the weakness of the biologist's argument. If we were two L or three L, um, legal writing um, TAs and this was our one L student with their brief, we would be like, Hey, you need to make explicit the piece where if you are more closely related genetically, then that means that you must have been domesticated more recently. Yep. You leapt to that conclusion without stating it explicitly as a premise of your argument. Yeah. Um, which one of the following principles underlies the biologist's argument? What type of question do you think that is? It's not a principle question because there ain't no such thing. No, actually. So this is kind of like a strengthening question slash assumption question. Cause if something is underlying the argument, then it's something that is supporting it and is assumed essentially. Right. I would call it a necessary assumption question or even a must be true question. Oh, so why would you say necessary assumption? Just because I'm worried about the strength of that, right? Because underlies means necessarily means this is part of the argument. Okay. I'm cool with that. Right. It doesn't say which one of the following, if true, you know, it doesn't say which of the following principles if true or if assumed mm-hmm. would help or justify or strengthen or what it doesn't say that. So I can't, I can't really put it on a strengthen question. It just really seems to me like it's a, a necessary assumption or a must be true. You know, it's like, which one of these does the argument rely on? Yeah. Right. It, it, which one of these underlies the argument it underlies, you know, means like it's a foundation. Yep. It's, it's like a critical piece of the puzzle here. A says if one breed of dog is descended from wolves that were domesticated more recently than were the wolves from which most other breeds of dog are descended. 
you know, I really don't need to read the rest of that, do I? Yeah. Because it's it's conditional on the conclusion of the argument. Yeah, that's it's bad. It's like if we assume that the dog is descended more recently, then yep. the former breed may be more closely related to wolves than those other breeds are. It's all the right words, but they're <laughs> arranged in the wrong order. You yeah. know, it's like what that does is it says, if you already know that the dog is descended is domesticated more recently, then it will be more closely related. No, we want, if it's more closely related, then it has to be descended more recently. Yeah. Yep. It's confusing. It's B says, for necessary. Yeah. B says if one breed of dog is more closely related to wolves than to another breed of dog, then the former breed of dog has more recent undomesticated wolf ancestors than the latter breed has. What do you think? I like it. I mean, it, it seems to be the reverse of what A said, right? Yep. We thought A was backward, confusing, sufficient for necessary. Mm-hmm. B looks like it puts the elements in the right order. The, 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 the missing... Pr- and, you know, they did, like, obfuscate it here a little bit with the former breed of dog has more recent undomesticated wolf ancestors. Mm. They could have just said the former breed of dog was domesticated more recently, but they did that on purpose. (laughs) That's lawyer shit. That's what they're testing. They're saying the same thing with different words so that people run away, but right. But, but savvy LSAT students will remember that there is one correct answer that makes perfect sense. And so we're going to be super critical of the wrong answers, but the one answer that we pick, we're going to understand how it answers the question perfectly. Even if it's worded in a shitty way, we're going to like, you know, grind through it to like simplify it down, basically. I mean, if you translate B, it says, if you're more closely related to wolves, then you are more recently domesticated. Yeah. That's what it means in a, in a worse way. Yeah but it's still going to be the correct answer here. C says any breed of dog descended from wolves that were domesticated. Okay. Is more closely related genetically to at least some other breeds of dog than to wolves. (laughs) This doesn't even have to be true, but it's, um, it's to me, it's just nonsense to be honest. Yeah. I mean, in, in, in real life, if I was sitting there doing a 35-minute timed section, I would give that answer no attention whatsoever. I mean, like, I read it in three seconds. I don't understand it. I do understand B. You know, in an LSAT class, I might take five minutes to explain exactly why C's wrong. Like, well, here's what I think it means, and here's what the argument would have to have said in order to make that right. But when I'm actually doing the test, I read that and I go, that doesn't make sense. And I don't pick answers that don't make sense. Next. Yeah. And if all five don't make sense, then fine. You got to double down and figure it out. But And I'm totally comfortable with that, too. Yeah. On some of the questions, I'm going to have to dig in for three or four minutes and like really, you know, really analyze each answer very carefully. Yeah. But on the majority of questions, the right answer is going to jump out to me like B did here. Yeah. And the wrong answers are going to just be either obviously wrong or they're not going to make sense. Yep. And I, and I just, I have no patience for answers that don't make sense because four out of five answers on the LSAT are wrong. And I just expect answers to be bullshit. 
D says, if one breed of dog is more closely related to wolves than another breed of dog is. Now, now the first half of that makes sense so far. Yeah, that's good. Right? That's like, okay, you're on target. Yep. If they're then closely the former related. breed mm-hmm. of dog is more closely related to wolves than to the latter breed of dog. <laughs> Okay, first of all, it doesn't even oh, that's also doesn't, talk about the yeah, time, right? Sense. So it's out. But it's also like, if I do follow it, <laughs> not that we need to, right? Actually, I would just end it here because of the time. It doesn't talk about the time. And yeah, so but also, just because you're the breed of dog that's most closely related to wolves, you could still be more closely related to the second yeah. closest You're breed two of degrees dog. away from wolves, but you're only one degree away from another dog. So what? But you're still the breed of dog that's most closely related yeah. to wolves. So D just doesn't have to be true. I mean, I, I'm treating this as a necessary assumption question, and and it, the author does not have to agree with that. E says, any two breeds of dog that are more closely related to each other than to wolves, which wasn't even contemplated in the facts. I mean, that's just not part of the argument at all. Two breeds of dog that are closely related to each other? That's not what the biologist was even talking about. Talking about dogs related to uh, wolves, but anyways, yeah. It's so well, so it's so far off that I don't need to read the rest of you. Yeah. I've already found an answer that I really like. We predicted it, you know, in fewer words. We predicted something simpler than B, but me B means the exact same thing. Yeah. I either know that A, C, D, and E, I either know that they're objectively wrong, like A, because it's confusing sufficient for necessary. Or I just don't even understand what they say. And that's fine, because I do understand how B is a perfect answer. I've looked at all five answers. <laughs> None of them are going to compete with B. So the answer is B. I do feel like that most people who don't pick B uh, struggle with the phrase that you talked about, which is the more recent undomesticated wolf ancestors. If you have more recent undomesticated wolf ancestors, then that means that the transition from wolf to dog took place more recently. Anyway. Come work with us at LSAT Demon and Thinking LSAT. We're looking for customer service help, operations help, uh, video and audio editing, YouTube posting and managing, TAs for our classes and uh, teachers as well. All the positions are flexible, part-time, and uh, contract-based, please, if you're interested, email me directly, nathan at lsatdemon.com. When you do, I want to know where you went to college. I want to know your GPA, and I want to know your official or practice LSAT scores. Again, that's nathan at lsatdemon.com, and I'd love for you to come work with us. Let's keep it moving. Yeah, let's do it. So the next one... Oh, pearls versus turds. So here's where we take some wisdom from the internet or somewhere out in the ether and decide whether this wisdom or this advice is actually wise, actually a pearl, or as most of them have turned out to be, a piece of shit. And if it is, (laughs) then we don't want you following this shitty advice. This submission was from listener Rebecca I guess I'll read it. So she's yep. screenshotting, uh, what is this, a Twitter, a tweet yep, from, from Twitter. Justin yes. Sua. Who's that? 
Do you know that person? I have no idea. Okay, who Justin this, it's Sua. It's a random Twitter person. Yeah. Justin Sua, who is a verified Twitter, <laughs> has a verified Twitter account, by the way, says... Oh, yeah, check mark. Mm, part of embracing the process is understanding that no matter how focused you are or how hard you work, you can't force how fast the results come. Manage your emotions as things unfold. When results aren't lining up with your expectations... Keep focusing on what you can control. <sighs> okay. So Rebecca wants to know, is this good advice? I think it's great advice. I I can't tell you how many students ask me, you know, like for specific timelines on how fast their score is going to improve or students get upset because they're, you know, they've been working hard and then on their practice test last Saturday, they scored two points lower than their previous test and they think everything's going to shit. And I always tell them, you know, it's like, I'm sorry that the results weren't what you wanted them to be this time. But the only thing I care about at all is let's look at your individual mistakes and figure out how to avoid making those individual mistakes next time. And that's controlling the process. You know, the process, the, the whole purpose, I wrote a newsletter about this a couple weeks ago, but the whole purpose of doing timed practice and scored practice tests is simply to get most of them right, but make a few mistakes and the few, the very few mistakes that you make are precious opportunities to learn. You learn as much as you can from those mistakes and you keep moving. You can't force that progress. You, you can, you can control your actions in this moment. That's all you can do. Yep. Focus on what you're doing and how to do it better. Don't focus on the results. In fact, Usually what happens, right, and this is the advice we give over and over again, someone's taking a test, they're focusing on the outcome, they're focusing on that perfect score, um, getting a 180 or whatever, and by like almost aiming toward that, they end up missing the steps that they need to take now. It's like it forces you to gloss over it. You know that, uh, there's this quote that's always stuck with me. It's, um, and I'm totally going to mess it up, but it's, it's from one of those Abraham Lincoln movies and it's the one that came out like five years ago or something. But anyways, someone was criticizing Lincoln, right? And he's, he was saying, I don't understand why you don't try to abolish slavery more quickly. Like, what's your problem? Mm. Like, like, like you agree, we all agree in this room that it's a bad thing and we need to get rid of it you're being too sympathetic to the South or something like that, right? I'm, I don't remember mm -hmm. the words. but uh, And I don't know if this is just a cinematic moment or if this is something that Lincoln actually said, but he's like, yeah, we all see like the mountain that we want to get to, but you're not seeing the valleys and the, the, like, the terrain that we have to traverse to get there. Mm -hmm. And if you just like aim towards that mountain and like start running towards it, you're going to trip and fall on your face and fuck it all up. You got to bring everybody along. And the way to do that is to like deal with the next mountain right in front of you. 
And that's what's happening on the LSAT. You can't be like, oh, I got to get a 170 and I'm just going to like, I don't know, spasm. <laughs> you just have to focus on the question or the sentence that you're on. Yeah. So this is a pearl. Yep. I'm willing to give it a pearl. If you have a pearl versus turd candidate, you can email help at thinkinglsat.com and uh, we will get you on the agenda. You can also talk to us on social, including Twitter at thinkinglsat. Uh, we're not super active on Twitter, but we are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere at thinking LSAT. Um, or yeah, again, email help at thinking LSAT.com and, uh, you will find your Pearl versus turd candidate on a future show. Cool. Thanks Rebecca. Yep. Thanks Rebecca. Uh, that was our 13th Pearl against 42 turds and 22 ties. Awesome. Excuse of the week time. Yeah. Um, this was again one of our teachers at LSAT Demon has a tutoring student who has complained that I wish I could read it out loud. What do you think of that? Is that a valid excuse, or do you think that that's an excuse that's hindering this LSAT student? Yeah, I don't know really what to make of it. I mean, you can wish for things and still charge ahead. Is this person actually like? complaining i think that most excuses are damaging to the student i think i think that students come up with lots of reasons for not understanding and they come up with lots of reasons for not being careful Mm -hmm. and i think part of our job is to just kind of redirect people when they are using excuses that are irrelevant and or nothing you can you can't do anything about it and it's just like i feel like it's a waste of time it's a waste of energy and it's it's like you know people do that thing where they give themselves permission to to like not get it um you are not allowed to read out loud on the lsat I mean, but you're not allowed to read out loud during your law school exams either. And you're not allowed to read out loud, I don't think, from counsel's table in court. You know, I mean, what if there's a document that gets disclosed to you in in the courtroom? I'm not sure how often that actually happens, but I imagine it happens sometimes. Or what if you have to go back and reread some document in your copious files that you have and you have to reread that quickly sitting there in the actual courtroom or in a meeting, probably more likely you're in a meeting yeah, with clients or with opposing counsel or with a judge or with whoever, you know, you're in a, you're in a, in a bit, you're in a meeting, a professional meeting, and you have a document that you need to figure out what the fuck it says quickly you're not going to be sitting there reading that out loud. So are you, are you, you're saying this person is making an excuse for their inability to understand something by saying, well, I can't understand it because I can't read out loud, but if I could, then I would understand it. And right. Like, and I just don't just I don't, focus on trying to learn how to understand it. One, you're going to have to get over it. So why are you complaining about shit you, you, you can't do anything about? I mean, I wish I was taller, Ben. I, I wish I, you know, didn't start losing my hair in my 30s. Wait, what? 
You lost your what hair? What good does that... <laughs> what good does that do for anybody? It does. It, it's like, yeah, you need to move on with life. It, it's a thing that we hear a lot in our classes where people chime in and, you know, and somebody says it and then five other students chime in. Oh, me too. Me too. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, I don't think you're doing yourself any favors there because it is something that if you're going to be successful in the legal world, you're going to have to learn how to read documents without reading them out loud. Also, I submit that it doesn't help you anyway. When I, read out loud. I mean, I, I read out loud more than most common folk do because I teach LSAT classes where I have to read out loud. It takes vastly longer to read out loud than it does to read silently. (laughs) You're doing a physical activity with your mouth and your vocal cords that you wouldn't be doing. Otherwise it's extra work to read it out loud And it takes longer. And sometimes you're so focused on getting the words out of your mouth that it like interferes with your understanding of those words. I think people like this because a lot of people have learned like to read that way maybe. And I'm wondering like, why does this persist or why do they gravitate to it? And I'm wondering if it has to do with their attention. So when you read something out loud, you necessarily have to pay attention to what you're reading more than you would maybe if you're not reading out loud. Like some of these people, maybe their mind is wandering and they don't realize it. And that's what they really need to work on. They need to work on reading and like con- like constantly checking in. Are you aware of what you just read? Do you have an opinion on it? Or is your mind uh, following some other random train of thought and you need to rein it back in? You know, it happens, but you got to become aware of that. You're going to have to learn how to focus on information that is important for whatever reason to, you know, the analogy I, again, I always use in reading comprehension is like, Hey, this is a document that arrived in our law office. Yeah. Somebody sent this to us like certified mail or whatever, you know, or it's part of the disclosure in the litigation that we're doing. Or it's a, a message from our client. It, it, our job is to read this shit and understand it. It is extremely important that we read it and understand it. Yeah. And you using the excuse of, well, I wish I could read it out loud. I, sorry, that's not, that's just not how the world works. And you're going to have to learn how to focus one sentence at a time and really understand what's going in. And I don't think that reading out loud is helping you. You can get accommodations, by the way. I mean, before people like send us a thousand emails telling us you can get accommodations that allow you to read out loud on the LSAT. File for accommodations, get a doctor to tell to say something about your brain works differently. And if you read out loud, it'll help you or whatever. You can get that accommodation if you apply for it. But the default is you cannot read out loud. And <laughs> later in life, there are going to be many, many situations where you're not going to be able to read out loud. I'm sorry. Yeah. Hey, by the way, this this uh, excuse of the week was making me think about another one that could almost be like um, its own category of excuses. But I hear it all the time, and it's not just on the LSAT. It's just like in life in general when you're talking with someone and they're like, I have to X. And it's like, I have to go drop off this you know, letter. 
I have to, whatever it is, I have to respond to my my boss um, by tonight. And it's like so many times when I hear that, I just think to myself, no, you don't. You don't have to do that. You're choosing to do that over something else. And so when it comes to the LSAT and you know, people are like, oh, well, I have to, I have to stay late at work. And I'm like, really? You, maybe. But what are the real consequences of that? How many people just say, oh, I got to leave. I got something going on. And peop- the world starts to bend around you. Do you want to bend around the world? Or do you want the world to start to bend around you? And if you keep walking around saying, oh, I have to do this and I have to do that, and I think people are literally saying that in their heads, they're deceiving themselves. You're choosing to do that because you think the consequences of not doing that are worse than something else, but are they really? I doubt it. I think the point of the excuse of the week segment is to encourage people to stop making excuses for not understanding. Just remove those excuses and get to work, which is understanding. <laughs> let's, 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 let's stop wishing that things could be different. Mm-hmm. And instead, let's focus on the task that's in front of us. Yeah. Anyway, that's excuse of the week. Cool. Uh, you can also get those on our agenda. Help at thinkinglsat.com or find us on social media at thinkinglsat. So... This next little bit here is a peek at our Apple Podcasts reviews. I don't want to waste too much time on it. I just think it's kind of amusing sometimes to look at a few of these. Yeah. Um, You know, this first one made me laugh. It says, my only source of serotonin. If Ben and Nathan ever stop making this podcast, I'm not going to be able to achieve my dreams. They are helping me deal with the stress of deciding to become a criminal defense. And it goes on. I just got the screenshot of like the, (laughs) the homepage of Apple's Apple podcasts. And anyway, I just appreciate that. I, I have no intention of ever stopping this podcast. Do you? Uh, no, but I want to read this inner child one for a half second here. It says the LSAT (laughs) is ultimately a deeply personal, non-narcotic psychedelic trip into your inner child that will, if faced correctly, disabuse (laughs) you of residual childhood fantasies about your specialness. Your guide on that trip is Nathan Fox, who clearly has his own set of unresolved hurts but nonetheless what? speaks truth to your powerful egocentricity. <laughs> so do you have unresolved okay. hurts, Nathan? Let's, uh, we can, we can work I don't know. I have to ask my therapist. I, I guess I this, do. Um, I am your but therapist. I'm working this on is it. What, I thought you... You're my therapist? You have another oh, yeah. therapist? I'm, I feel <laughs> Sorry, Ben. I've been cheating on you all this time. Um, okay. Yes, I do have another therapist. Oh. I believe strongly in um, the value of therapy. Um <clears throat> I don't know if I have unresolved hurts. Maybe I do. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's the point, right? You don't know. That's why they, they come out in bits yeah. of... And the whole point of this exercise is just to beg you guys to please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, if you write a few words... <laughs> Nathan, um, Nathan wants to move on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. These are funny. Some yeah. of these are... Uh, and then some of these are... They're, they're generally five stars or one, right? That's nice. Oh, well, that's been, yeah. I mean, throughout the history of at least my business, I have had a ton of five-star reviews and a pretty solid smattering of one-star reviews. (laughs) I'm not for everybody. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, anyway, thanks everybody who has uh, given us a review, uh, whether five stars or one stars on uh, Apple Podcasts. At least you're at least you're talking about us. Yeah. You know. So yeah. that's good. We have no advertising budget, so um, reviews are really one of the best ways, or even better than that. You know, tell a friend about the podcast. Um, we really do appreciate that. All right. So um, we have yeah. What is this? Yes. This mailbag thing. You put a bunch of emails in here, I guess. I did. Uh, we have a whole shit ton of just random emails. Uh, again, help at thinkinglset.com if you would like to get on the agenda. Um, I'll just tackle this first one, I guess. Dear Ben and Nathan, I started my LSAT journey with a diagnostic score of 145. Today I scored a 165 on the official test after just two months in the demon. The demon is a score miracle worker. Praise the demon. If you end up reading this, you can use my name. Thank you so much. Kevin. Yesterday was score release day, Ben. And so I'm sure you uh, also got uh, buried in emails from people who killed the LSAT. Yeah. I uh, don't know <laughs> what more we can say about that, but that's a 20 point improvement in two months from Kevin. And uh, those those stories are not uh, uncommon these days. This so. is this is where we need that. Like, you know, uh, at the end of a um, a med like a medical commercial where it's like these what the symptoms may be and results may not be repeatable it's illegal <laughs> yeah. in the following states <laughs> sure of course but our shit fucking works i mean i believe in what we do i do too just because because of the results you know and and of course we can't guarantee that it's going to happen for every single person but like almost every one of our teachers studied with us and improved by 10 or 15 or 20 points. Yeah. And then eventually scored in the one seventies, you know, I mean, Edin got her score yesterday <laughs> and it's like, yeah, okay. You've been studying with us for six months and you ended up with a 99th percentile LSAT score. <laughs> how many, how many students have we seen that have done this? Hundreds. <laughs> You know, I just so I just want a like, product that has that disclaimer. <laughs> what? Our shit works? Yeah. Oh, you want the whole drug commercial fast potential side effects includes <laughs> We can make one Death, of those. That'll euphoria. be a new ending for yeah. the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, thanks Kevin and uh, congratulations. That's amazing. Um uh, you want to take this? Yeah, next I'll one? take this one. This is from Angie. Hi, Ben and Nathan. I won't call myself a non-traditional student because who knows what that even means. Um, okay. At 30, I agree with that. You know, so we just started this totally affinity agree. group. They're, like, if you're seventy, you're you're out. <laughs> you're non-traditional. You have to, <laughs> dude. Don't be mean to Marvin in our classes. <laughs> I don't know that Marvin's seventy, but he's like sixty something. He's the resident wait, old guy in wait, all of our Wait, we classes. have a we have a sixty year old in class. Yeah, you don't know Marvin yet. No, I don't know Marvin. He, what, uh, what, look what's out his for plan? Him, I don't understand. That's non traditional. Yeah, but hey, Ben, surely you would agree that non traditional is vague, and sure, you could just fucking say what you mean to say, which is you're a little bit older when. So we're starting all these affinity groups now. Okay. Um, these are mm-hmm. student proposed, student run affinity groups for uh, just subsets of our population. Yeah. For example, Austin, thank you, Austin, said, hey, I think it would be cool to have a study group for older LSAT students. 
And so we've started that group. Uh, I facilitate it on Mondays and uh, the group is amazing. They're like sharing all, all kinds of resources and whatnot. Yeah, it's yeah. fantastic. And since then we've had like already five other affinity groups pop up one for moms, one for Latinas, you know, we got like a growing list. Um, by the way, if you're a demon student and you want to suggest an affinity group that you would like to kind of spearhead, um, you can email me directly. I'm Nathan at lsatdemon.com and uh, we'll get that group going for you because it's just, it's it's for you. It's it's something that you guys, a place where you guys can get together in a smaller group than the whole giant um, demon population. Anyway, point of my lengthy story is that they wanted to call it non-traditional LSAT students. Who? Oh, the older group did? Yeah. Yeah. The old folks yeah, wanted yeah. to call it non-traditional LSAT students. And one, it's a lie anyway, because older people have always gone to law school. When Since when do older people not go to law school? Law school has always been open to everybody who's willing to, you know, pay the tuition or So you're looking whatever. at the word traditional as in... Uh, from the beginning or, you know, over time. Non-traditional implies that it's like different it's and like weird new, right? yeah. to be older, yeah. which it's not. So it's a euphemism and it's vague and it's fucking useless. And I'm not saying non-traditional student anymore. I'm saying older LSAT student. I mean, I might say <laughs> it's a really older. old student. Who cares? <laughs> What's that? I might say it's really old students, but okay. So <laughs> she's 35. Why? Because you want to use not, the... Um, huh? For Marvin, you want to use the euphemism because he's so old that you're just like, you don't want to say older. I would say that's non-traditional. Say- I would say, or what is it? I think by non-traditional, they're just saying, ex- like, hey, not fitting the mold but, at all. Well, okay, but then are black students non-traditional? I mean, they are a like very small minority historically. They are very underrepresented in law school. Traditionally, like white males went to law school. Mm. I, I don't, it's super vague, dude. It's useless. Just say what it fucking is. You're a little older. That's fine. I, I'm really old. So why, use, <laughs> why use a meaningless euphemism when you could just say what it is? It goes against every writing principle I've ever heard you say. Okay. It's very important. Anyway. Um, <laughs> all right. At 35, I'm preparing for a career change, obviously, to become a lawyer. I started a side business as a calligrapher in my 20s, and it quickly became a full-time job, having afforded me a steady six-figure plus, six-figure plus, uh, six-figure, would that mean seven figures? A six-figure income. She just means it's not exactly 100,000. It's... (laughs) Maybe we're looking at more like 160. Okay. That's my guess. Uh, okay. A uh, six-figure plus income and a flexible schedule doing work I generally enjoy. Hmm. Okay. Angie, I'm confused as to why you're doing a, a career change here. My I'm- gut reaction was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. You're, <laughs> you've already won. Absolutely do not. Like, um, you know, and this is a demon <clears throat> subscriber. Yep. And I think she should unsubscribe. Yeah. I, I'm i sorry. I'd, I'd love to have you, Angie. And if law turns out to be the thing for you, great. But you do very interesting work. 
you sounds like you're good at it. You're killing it. You're making a ton of money. You have flexible work and you make six figures already. I can't imagine what, what? All right, go ahead. Oh, look at what she says next. I realize at this time you will call me crazy to leave such a cush gig to pursue law and i'm ready to hear you tell me not to be a lawyer okay we're already starting after you just did yeah don't do this yeah don't do this stop thanks for writing in angie it's good it's nice talking to you um (laughs) after thinking i'd casually attempt to apply this casually attempt to apply this march for a fall 2021 start i came across the thinking lsab podcast where you told me that a terrible idea what a terrible idea that would be thank you exclamation point. I'm now committed to going to law school only if it's free, and I've started studying with the demon. Okay. Your strategies are so glaringly intuitive. (laughs) I've subsequently tossed all other prep books, unsubscribed from all other LSAT podcasts, and discontinued membership with a different (laughs) prep company. For some reason, I just... I started feeling like, I'm like, are we a cult? Are we, are we, are we, yes, disband all connections to normal society and join the demon team. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Disavow all (laughs) other relationships with friends and family. No, I mean, the Angie's almost done. All she needs to do is also unsubscribe from the Thinking LSAT podcast and And the the LSAT demon. And then she's done (laughs) because she already has a fucking kick-ass career what yeah this is actually right, anyway. this is actually how we rope people in you try to push them away and they just want more she's gonna they like after more. this i know she's gonna want it okay anyways my first question is about letters of rec letters of recommendation uh okay it's always a low priority in my mind how important yep. are they not important and how important are the authors not important okay so you only important have that to, they actually know you yeah they have yeah. to know you that's what's important they can be anybody who knows you well and supervises your work or schooling yep um obviously you have to do them they're important in the sense that they're necessary but they're not a high priority i've noticed yep. that most schools ask for letters of recommendation from academic sources and less preferably from former employers okay i, I don't know i think that depends on your situation i've been out of school for 14 years and i have not kept in touch with any professors yeah so use work ones additionally i have not had a traditional employer traditional employer Oh, because she's, yeah, she's a self-employed calligrapher. Got it. In over 10 years, having been in business for myself, nearly all of my professional career, any, sorry, the word traditional was just so loaded for me after our previous conversation. <laughs> uh, I couldn't even like read it and understand it. Any colleagues, that's in scare quotes, I work with regularly are personal industry friends who cannot attest to my academic ability. They don't have to attest to your academic ability. They just have to attest to your abilities, by the way. I fear these would not be sufficient sources of recommendation, and the only people coming to mind are close personal friends. Nope, you do not want to do that. Do your colleagues in work. I I don't see a problem with that at all. And your clients. Your clients who are who you work for. They are your boss. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They pay you. They can fire you. They hired you. They keep hiring you, presumably, because you do good work. Your clients are perfectly appropriate for you. They know you. They know your work. They can testify to your 
like professional capacity, you know? Hey, Nathan, I have a question for you. What do people yeah. need a cal- cal- calligrapher? I can't even calligraphy. I can't even say the word. What do they need one of those people for? <clears throat> Let's say we were going to get giant LSAT demon tattoos on our backs. Mm-hmm. Maybe we would hire a calligrapher. Cal- yeah, I'm so jealous of you. Super you fancy just say script it. in the first place. Yeah. <sighs> okay. It's just so, to me, it's interesting because in this modern world, right, like Adobe, Photoshop, Illustrator, all those things, they have such powerful tools for typography. Sure, if you want computer generated, if you don't want bespoke, um, Bespoke? handmade shit, you can look it up. Um, no, people would hire a calligrapher to, you know, make a fancy sign on uh, for their wedding or something. Maybe I don't know, like or a greeting board at a restaurant You're struggling. or something. What? You're struggling to find a reason. <laughs> no, it, it it does seem pretty antiquated, <laughs> but I mean, you know. <laughs> Wait. So bespoke is made for a particular customer or user. So that's if you want something right. like that. Okay. Very. That's unique. what I'm saying. You would hire. Angie to do your handmade it's so much classier Ben you're going to get out Microsoft Word and just use the oh, calligraphy please. I font wasn't talking everybody's about Word. going to be able to tell I was talking about- <laughs> <laughs> okay anyways uh, I am also wondering what you'd say is a hard cutoff date for taking the LSAT to apply this fall for 2022 I plan on take to take the June and August test if I end up needing to take it again Due to a lower than target score, would you suggest waiting another full cycle to apply or taking the October LSAT for this fall's application? Uh, this is interesting because this just came up in my class, and I think you have a, a bright line rule for this, which is August, right? I mean, there are always exceptions, right? But the burden is on you to qualify for the exception. August is fine because the score is going to come back in mid-September and you get your application in September. That's great. Yeah. August, uh, October is kind of shitty because October, those scores are going to come out at the end of October or beginning of November. And you're, by definition, applying after other people. Why would you apply after other people? You control the process. You know that it's rolling admissions. There's no reason to rush into law school. There are a hundred reasons to go to the best school at the best price, preferably zero, preferably you get a stipend. And so, you know, if I'm pulling the strings, like if I, if it was my money or if I was just the boss of you, I could just magic wand and just make you do what I wanted you to do. Yeah. Then yeah. If you take the October LSAT, just wait till the next cycle starts. They'll be here before you know it. Trust me. It... (laughs) There's always another one right around the corner. And at age 35, Angie, you're probably old enough to start realizing that you have kind of more time than you think in some ways. I mean, life is short and long both. It's weird. It's like kind of a strange paradox there. But your legal career is going to be either 29 years or 30 years. And it really makes no difference whether it's 29 years or 30 years. But accruing six figures of debt or going to the wrong law school is going to follow you forever. And, 
I just think that people who take the October LSAT and then apply are going to get slightly worse offers on average. They're going to get slightly worse offers than the people who applied at the beginning of the cycle. I don't know. What do you think? No, I think I agree with that. I think if you have a good enough score to apply in August, uh, but you haven't used up all your test taking opportunity or not good enough, I should say, if you think you've gotten the best score you could possibly most likely get, not necessarily possibly get, because that may be hard to determine, but you've you've done very well and you're applying in August, I would still be open and interested in people taking the October LSAT merely for the fact that they probably have the score, the best score they can get, but why not throw the dice again and potentially bump it up? I, I'm saying they're still like applying with that August score and everything. Yeah, I just, you know, I wonder because I know that some schools will hold off evaluating your application if they see that you're signed up for another LSAT. Oh, I was under the impression you could tell them, hey, no, just consider my application. But then what's the point of taking the LSAT again? Because you have another shot and you thought you did Uh, as well as you could. You didn't get the benefit of applying early. I mean, or you're either not getting the benefit of that test or you're not getting the benefit of applying early. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I meant the opposite. You can tell them to go ahead. And consider, I thought you could do that. Right. In which case that extra LSAT doesn't even do anything for you because oh. they're already evaluating your application. No, I think it, it like you come back with um, an offer, but you, the negotiation isn't done by November, right? Like what if you get a higher score? I'm just saying yeah, like I, <clears throat> the shot of getting, maybe it, maybe it varies school by school. I mean, I know that when I applied to Hastings, they were very clear that when you apply, we evaluate your application with your scores on record and that you could possibly just get denied before you even get that new score back. Yeah. Maybe they don't do that. Maybe, maybe if maybe they do look at your record and see you're taking the test again, and then they would at least hold off on making a decision, but that's not what they told me at the time. So, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm I'm really talking about someone who has a score that's good enough. I'm just thinking, well, why not? Throw the dice again. Like, it's just like... It's Anne has too- always been very clear that you shouldn't apply until you have your best LSAT score. Yeah. She said that a hundred times. Well, it, so. Okay, cool. Well, I mean, hey, default presumption. Wait another cycle. It doesn't... It never hurts you. And you exhaust... Have reasons and where- that gives you time to exhaust your five attempts, right? Yeah. And make sure that you're really showing up Maybe looking like a baller. You really do have the best possible score you could get. Yeah. Otherwise, you're wasting money on applications, wasting time on applications. You know, how many students do we have who applied one cycle and then end up having to, like, retake and reapply and all that stuff? It's like, well, why didn't you, you just get your ducks in a row in the first place? Yeah. All right. Thank you, Angie. I Really, Angie, you have an amazing career already flexible work, doing something that you love making six figures. Most lawyers don't make six figures. Most lawyers also hate their job. (laughs) She knew what we were going to tell her before she wrote in. All right. Next email says, hope y'all are doing well. I went through high school undergrad averaging about 3.2 or 3.3 or so. After, I found out I have two learning disabilities. It has gotten a bit worse over time, which is why I found out about it later rather than sooner. That sucks. 
One is some form of dyslexia. Sometimes I see numbers and letters upside down. Sometimes when I am reading, I also do not see words that are on the page and words that are not on the page, I somehow see. It's not very intense, but it just takes me a little bit longer reading materials because I have to check to see if I read it right. This happens sometimes. It's not a most of the time thing. I forgot the name of the second learning disability I have. It has some kind, oh, sorry, it was some kind of executive function disorder. It takes me a little longer to analyze information. I always wonder what my GPA would have been had I known about these learning disabilities. Question, how are law schools with people with learning disabilities? Do they get the same materials as other people? Different materials? Are there certain programs? Uh, I've seen there is help for people like that in high school, and even my undergraduate has it. I'm wondering how it is in post-grad studies. This is from Anonymous. I, I, I had a couple comments. Um, first was when you said, I forgot the name of the second learning disability I have. It is some kind of executive function disorder. Um, I really think you got to take responsibility for that. Like a doctor has told you, you have this thing and now you've like forgotten the name of it. You're definitely not going to get accommodations with that mindset. What, what is it you have a problem with again? Well, I don't know the name exactly. It's just, it's difficult. uh, Anonymous is going to get a letter. I mean, anonymous, you should go get the letter from your doctor that spells these things out. You can get either time and a half or double time on the LSAT. Be careful about double time. I feel like double time is too much time. Uh, it seems like double time kind of fucks people up sometimes. Time and a half should be plenty. And if you apply for time and a half, start practicing with time and a half. I think you'll see that your LSAT score improves immediately. The law schools do not know that you got accommodations. Be very careful not to tip your hand when you're applying. Don't write about accommodate. Don't write about learning disabilities in your personal statement because they're going to think, oh, this person got accommodated on the LSAT. Sure. Um, but I really, I mean, Ben, if someone had told you that you, if you found out like the reason why you can't read words properly, um, is because you have some sort of (laughs) executive, if someone told you that you have an executive function disorder, yeah, wouldn't you immediately become like an expert on that executive function disorder? Presumably if it's affecting your life in some way it sounds like anonymous is worried that it does right so well yeah and if it's not a thing then go ahead and ignore it yep but if you if this thing is real and you're writing to us about it so you seem to think that it's real well you know it's like you're worrying about what kinds of shit you're gonna get from your law school but you're not taking responsibility for your own condition which i mean we'll and and we we will tell you i mean Anyway, I don't want to beat you up too bad about that because I appreciate that you've written into the show, but like, get more specific about that. Learn about that. I'm sure that there are kind of tricks and workarounds and resources out there on the internet, probably endless resources for people who have these disorders or differences, whatever you want to call them. And you, you do need to like help yourself first. As far as what happens in law school for people with learning disabilities? 
Do you have any comments about that? Uh, I don't know the details, um, but I'm sure that they do provide some accommodations. Yeah. I can, I mean, my own law school experience, which now mercifully is a decade behind me. I, they definitely did accommodate students. So you tell them that you have these learning disabilities and they probably will give you, I remember that there were people in my cohort who had a separate room to take their tests. People had extra time to take their tests. There were, um, resources on campus for people who needed like extra tutoring or extra whatever. There were various programs that you could participate in. There's like an academic resources center. I'm sure on every law school campus that you can go get extra help. But I think step one for all of that is knowing exactly what your issues are and being a good advocate. Lawyers are advocates. You need to advocate for yourself by learning step one is to learn as much as you can about these disorders so that you can then go into these, you know, resource centers and be very clear about what your issues are and kind of help them help you giving you the right resources for your condition. Yeah. But I mean, you're still going to be studying the same shit. (laughs) You're going to be taking the same exams. You're going to be, taking the same bar exam, you just, you might have extra time and some extra study resources, but otherwise it's, it's going to be, you know, it's not like there's a separate JD for dyslexics. Yeah. Anything more there? Nope. Good luck. Okay. Thanks for writing in. Take the next one. Yeah. Scott. Hi. Not what, not sure what insight you can give, but here goes colon. Here goes. (laughs) All right. My application went in pretty late. It was unavoidable. Really? <laughs> Bullshit. Really? It was unavoidable, and there's nothing we can do about that now. I agree with that part. It happened. So. Oh, well, that's true. It was submitted <laughs> late. We forward. can't change that. It's wait. a sunk cost. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I've been getting... I disagree that it was unavoidable, but if there's nothing we could do about it now. Yeah, you're right. Like, you know, there's nothing we can do about the fact that it was submitted late, but we can do a lot about what we want to do now. We can always, yeah, you totally. always have yes. a million choices ahead of you. I've been getting yes. waitlisted everywhere from Penn to George Washington, and I'm still waiting on 12 more. Is the fact that I'm getting waitlisted even as late as this, and by, and by such a wide spectrum of schools, a sign that I have a good chance during the next cycle and that the lateness killed me? Or is it safe to assume that I'd have gotten similar results if I had applied on time. Uh, You almost certainly would have gotten better results, especially if you wait and apply next cycle, which will probably be less competitive than this cycle, you might get even better results. Anyways, beyond that, University of Michigan, waitlisted, specifically says they've offered deferred admissions to waitlisted students who have asked for it. Have you heard of that before? No, that's a new one on me. Apparently Michigan this year. I mean, it's crafty. See, these schools, especially the top schools, are like pretty savvy. They're they're very crafty about the way they play this game. Yeah. And so they know that this is an ultra competitive cycle and they're all admit admitting like better classes this year than they've ever admitted before because they just have uh, such so this a is crazy a way to amount. capture the people who didn't make it in but are yeah. traditionally competitive. They're, 
it's such a competitive year that they're telling people on their wait list, we can't admit you right now because it's too damn competitive, but we'll actually guarantee you a spot for next year. Well, especially if that person's now going to be so excited to be taken off that wait list that they're going to pay. Yeah, which price. continue reading Scott's email. Okay. Um, where did it go? This long paragraph. Okay. Is that something you've heard of people doing anywhere else? We just answered that. Is it a reasonable thing to shoot for? I'm basically guaranteed. Wait, what? It depends. Yeah. I mean, what are they offering? (laughs) Yeah. I'm basically guaranteed to start next year now, which I can live with, but I'm not sure what my prospects are based on current results. Consequently, that's because you applied late. Yeah. You have no idea what your prospects are because you applied late. You also applied during the most competitive cycle ever. Late. <laughs> late. <laughs> so you, you're not going to know what your actual prospects are unless you reapply next cycle. Yeah. Consequently, Scott, one piece of advice. Please use more paragraph breaks. Consequently, I'm unsure whether I should attempt and take a deferral at the best school I can which would be binding, Mm, it would be binding, or just start over next year and shoot for my top choices again. I'm a super splitter, not just a splitter, a super splitter. A 178 and a 3.15 from Columbia with 20 years of solid career and good recommendation letters. I'd assumed I'd mostly just get either accepted or rejected, but now I'm guessing I can count on at least 10 to 15 wait lists I've already got five so far, and I don't know what that means or what to make of it. Assume scholarships are not an issue. This is just about admission. Okay, so it sounds like Scott is saying that he has money and he doesn't care about the going for free. That would? Yeah, but I'd I'd be shocked. It's a 178, a 3.15, which is not a great GPA, but it is from a great school. 20-year career. I think that this is a very attractive candidate for most schools. Yeah. It's just a super fucking competitive cycle. Yeah. You're basically locking yourself in to pay full freight at the University of Michigan. I mean, I know you don't care about money, but um, where else could you go? University of Michigan gives full ride scholarships plus $10,000 a year stipends sometimes. I just can't imagine. Like, are you really that like wealthy too that... How Saving $200,000 isn't like something to be mildly happy about. <laughs> yeah. 200 grand. It's a down payment on a million dollar house <laughs> or it's buy a house in Michigan outright. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> I don't, I, I'd be shocked if Scott applied again at the beginning of the next cycle, I'd be shocked if he doesn't get better offers. I can't imagine just being like, okay, yeah, all right, I'll settle for Michigan at full price. I mean, yeah, especially if you're going to apply early. Um, Michigan is willing to give you a seat now. That means that they know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like they're they're going to look at your application next cycle and be like, no, for the same class. Highly unlikely. It it seems like a smart move by Michigan 
to try to, you know, just kind of sucker lazy people or people who aren't really, you know, they've, they've created this false scarcity around law school admissions and they, they just do such a great job of like perpetuating this myth that it's such an honor to get granted admission to Michigan. And this might be your one and only one shot at Michigan bullshit. If you apply again to all of the top 14 and whatever schools you applied to, I mean, the reason why you're getting waitlisted is because this is an ultra competitive cycle and you applied late and you have a 3.15 late and you yeah, you don't have very good grades, but I'd be, I'd be shocked if you applied again and like what Michigan's going to deny you next year. I just can't imagine. Yeah. And apparently you're interested in several schools. So let's just open it up for all of them. Not just have one choice. Yeah, I have a feeling that if Scott applies on September 1st for the next cycle, he might be emailing us back like on September 30th with, hey, I've already gotten five different offers from. I mean, that's what we saw last fall. Yeah. Like there was a feeding frenzy at the beginning of the cycle. Yeah. So. And you might I'd save yourself some you, money, Scott. Scott, even for rich people. Okay. It's just a down payment on a million dollar house, Scott. I mean, it's it's probably worth probably worth it. Um, hey, just a little quick side note, but send us your favorite moments from the show, will you? Um, to help us grow on social media, also to help us create episode three hundred. If you could email help at thinkinglsat dot com or find us on social at thinkinglsat and just send us a like a timestamp and an episode number and a topic for a moment that you thought was uh, funny or useful that would help us out a lot again help at thinking lsat.com or uh, social at thinking lsat next one um so is it me hi guys i'm a crazy person and thought i wanted to go to law school i wanted to do public service like a public defender or child advocate i had been teetering on the idea for a while and decided to go all in and apply for the fall 22 cycle so I signed up for the June LSAT flex and started studying with the demon. I had a sobering conversation with one of the demon tutors and realized that I am fucking 20 years old and was rushing into this way too fast. LOL. Written like a 20 year old. <laughs> then I had an epiphany that what I wanted to do with my life oh my could God, also be epiphany. accomplished. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Epiphany that what I could do, what I wanted to do with my life could also be accomplished by becoming a social worker. So I'm probably about to change my undergrad degree for the third time exclamation point. So fun, but I've, I've sunk over $600 into this endeavor. So I was wondering if it would be possible for me to get a refund from LSAC since I signed up so early. I've seen some people online say that a strongly worded email can get the job done. And I was wondering if y'all had ever heard of this happening. Thanks, and I'll miss the parasocial relationship I formed with you guys through the podcast. And that's from O. Ben, I helpfully looked up the definition of parasocial. It's right there for you. You want to read it? Yeah, wait, it's right there for me. It's right underneath. Oh. Keep going. Thank you. Uh, Parasocial interaction refers to a kind of psychological relationship experienced by an audience in their mediated encounters with performers in the mass media, particularly on television. And podcasts. Yeah. Viewers or listeners come to consider media personalities as friends, despite having limited interactions with them or none. Ben, do you have any um, parasocial relationships? Do you have any friends? Oh, yeah, I do. I have so many. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Who? Uh, well, one is The Rock. He motivates me to work out. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I thought you were going to say Sam Harris. I'm so glad you pulled The Rock instead of Sam Harris. That's fantastic. Nothing to, nothing against Sam Harris. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, The Rock is just so much cooler. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, That's fantastic. So... Yeah, will LSAT give you a refund? I don't know. I guess you you just got to ask them. Um, it seems like they've been more friendly in the last couple of years than they were before. So I think you have a shot. I don't know. Um, I, I think especially if you call multiple times. Yeah. I, I, oh, I would you might like get like a different person. Yeah. And cry and yell you know, and just like tell them how ridiculous you think it is. And you know, don't be like, I wouldn't be I don't know. I wouldn't be like a dick about it, but I would, I would, I would just, I think I would try multiple times and do like a plea for sympathy and a, you know, this money really means everything to me. And I, 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 I signed up foolishly. I I have no intention of ever taking the LSAT and, you know, I mean, this is, it's, it's for the fucking June LSAT, Ben. Yeah. It's only March right now. Yeah. Like they make you sign up six weeks in advance and they give you your score three weeks later. I, I don't I'm not, I don't know why that's relevant, but <laughs> she signed up so far in advance, but we're mad about that too, decided, by the way. So <laughs> <laughs> she's decided not to go to law school. I, I think if you, if you kick and scream and cry and beg, I, I would think that you might be able to get a refund out of them. Yeah, I think so too. And I guess that's why you were writing in O. But what do you think about this whole thing of changing your undergrad degree for the third time? I My reaction is like, just get the degree. Like, I don't... Uh, do you need a particular degree? I know O wants to become a social worker, but that could very well change again. Um, I would just rather wrap it up, like get that degree... And go out and get some, get a job, get experience, maybe a social working job. Well, it, well, I mean, changing her major doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to take more time for her to finish her degree. Not necessarily. That's so, true. So if it doesn't matter, although I will say that when I changed to econ, that helped me a lot actually because it didn't require a lot to finish. So I, it made it easier to graduate and I ended up graduating a semester early. You have to try different things in life. I imagine if she wants to be a social worker, she probably needs the degree, you know, and if social work seems to be the thing that she wants to do, then she probably has to get some sort of a certification in that direction. So I'm not going to tell her not to change her major. I'm glad she's decided not to go to law school. I mean, we're perfectly happy uh, talking people out of it. Hey, one more quick one. All right. And then we got to wrap it up. Sure. Uh, by the way, thank you, O, for writing in and teaching us about parasocial relationships. We got to go fast. Read it. Just listened to a recent podcast where you mentioned Georgetown asking for GRE applicants to apply. Seems pretty predatory. I am waitlisted at Georgetown, and FYI, during a Zoom meeting, the dean said that they broke all the all-time high record for applications at any law school with 14,000 applicants so far. The previous record was 12,500 in 2004. They said they are very behind already. They definitely don't need more applicants. Okay, good to know. Well, they're going to do whatever they can to get the best of the best. <laughs> yeah, former former student a while back who uh, still interacts with the show. 
I really love this little bit of Intel, sure. um, which you can send, by the way, to help at thinkinglsat.com or find us on social at thinkinglsat. But yeah, there, Georgetown is like sending out all this spam about apply now for 2021 admission. You know, this fall, send in your GRE, you can apply with a GRE score and you could start this fall. And our hypothesis was they're doing it for rankings. You know, they might cherry pick one or two of these people who have a perfect GRE score, but they're more likely going to deny everybody. Um, And this little fact seems to support that conclusion because they've got 1,500 more applications this year than they've ever had before, uh, which indicates that your chances of applying super late with a GRE score, not an LSAT score, um, it just seems pretty far-fetched that that they're actually looking for people to be in the class uh, starting this fall. And they're much more likely just looking to boost their applications numbers so that they can climb up, you know, into the top 14 and, uh, or into the top 10. I'm sure Georgetown would kill to be in the top 10, right? Well, especially pretty much what's going on. Yeah. And especially if they don't, didn't waive the application fee in that email, I can't remember if they did or not, but that's, that's not a, like a, a source of revenue to be ignored, right? 75 bucks a pop. It's like, and you're not going to do anything with them anyway. And when we deny you, it just makes us look better yeah. in the eyes of us news yep. and world report. So <laughs> it's a win-win. Yes, please apply. So we pay can us you. to look better. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap it up. Yeah. Be Elsa famous. Get on an upcoming show by emailing help at thinking if you have questions about the LSAT demon, email help at lsatdemon.com. That was episode 288 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks all y'all for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. Later.